Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast, sarcoidosis and COVID-19. Everybody talks about the elephant on your chest. Yeah, that's what I was feeling. It was just like... Frank Rivera has long COVID, the kind that just won't go away. So I walk up a, pe- a flight of stairs and I had to stop halfway through. Coming up, Frank talks about what it's like to have not just Sark, but COVID-19. And not for weeks, like most people, but for months. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Well, hello and welcome. This is episode 24 of the Sark Fighter Podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. The official Sark Fighter song called Zombie is by Mark Steyer and the White Hot Lizards, his band, uh, in Alberta, Canada. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can hear his story about how Sark took him off the ice as a hockey player in episode 12, and it sort of prompted him to uh, write and find the lyrics and the message in this song. Proceeds from the song, by the way, are donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and of course, so are you. You might be a patient, you might be a caregiver, a researcher, big pharmaceutical company. You've got some skin in the sarcoidosis sarcoidosis game, and so we're all fighting Sark together in one way or another. And this is a place where we can all gather and we can hear what's going on in the sarcoidosis community. And also because I know that a lot of sarcoidosis patients, myself included, um, have felt like you were alone at some point in time. You don't know anybody else who has SARC. Uh, sometimes you have doctors who have never heard of SARC, or you're their only patient, or you're one of just a handful of patients, and you're trying to figure out what's going on and and you know how does your how bad is this? How bad does your suffering compare to the next person's? And and what's the outlook? What is the opportunity for you to uh, control this illness, this disease, and get it where you want to be, where you can live some semblance of a normal life? And we talk about that a lot on here uh, on the podcast. And you know, I'm fortunate right now um, because I have uh, uh, achieved sort of a happy point where. It feels like my body is in remission, and I'm able to uh, at least live a daily life. Actually, I'm going to talk about how uh, life took a little turn for me here in a moment, but um, there is reason to hope. that At the end of the day, that's that's what we're looking for. Uh, but as we deal with controlling this disease, we, we deal with the medications, oftentimes things like prednisone, methotrexate, they can make you feel not, not so great, and oftentimes the, the medicine is is worse than the disease itself. But we talk about that and we get it out there and you can get a feel for, okay, is this just what happens when I have this? And uh, that's that's the, the type of thing we talk about. Now, if you're new to sarcoidosis, I'm sorry that you are here, but hopefully uh, you will uh, you'll learn what's going on, and we try not to uh, make it too uh, dark and dreary. <laughs> uh, some of the stories are, unfortunately, but I think we need to hear those. Um, but if you're just trying to figure out what's going on with your body in the initial stages, Dr. Simon Hart in Episode 2 is something that you'll want to listen to. It's Sarcoidosis 101. If you want to hear more about me, you can listen to my story in Episode 1. Find out how I got here. Uh, and then uh, if you want to hear the backstory as to how the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research came into being, listen to episode 11 with the founders, Andrea and Redding Wilson. Andrea is a Sark fighter, and she has had a struggle with Sark. And she went looking for answers 20 years ago, and there wasn't, there wasn't any place to find answers. Very few doctors knew about it, uh, and there was not a foundation, so... They started one, and uh, I, I work very closely with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and you might want to go ahead and, and listen to, uh, to that episode, episode 11, because I think it's a good one, and it kind of gives you some perspective on, even though it's stressful now, it was worse 20 years ago. Now, uh, and I just do want to tell you that the Foundation 
uh, not only helps researchers work on solutions for SARC and have raised millions of dollars toward that end, but they also specialize in reaching out to patients. Uh, and this podcast is one of the ways that uh, that we've sort of achieved a partnership to reach out. Uh, and they're also, you know, working on new medications. They're helping patients with the search for doctors and, and all the changes in our lives. And so there is a great deal of patient outreach as well. Now, uh, before I get to Frank and his story today, uh, I have to bring you up to date on a couple of things, and this one is not SARC-related. I, I, I just have to vent. I was mountain biking last week, the day after Thanksgiving. It was a beautiful day here in western Virginia, and bicycling is something that I can still do. I used to be a runner and a cyclist, and uh, but because I have SARC uh, on my spinal cord, I don't have the coordination to run anymore. Uh, it's just it's just too hard for me to put one foot in front of the other that fast. But because the pedals just sort of tell your legs where to go, and I still have strength and I still have energy, I am able to ride a bicycle, and and I think I ride uh, you know reasonably well. So. Um, uh, I get out there, and I was riding on my mountain bike on the trails, and uh, it was a just, a, like I said, a gorgeous day. I was riding sort of easier to moderate trails at Carvin's Cove, which is a big mountain bike center here in Roanoke, and I was just about done. I had cleared a whole bunch of sort of difficult little, you know, going over rocks and some logs and, you know, small logs for me. Uh, and just riding the trail, really enjoying the woods. And something, I think either my pedal or my chain ring, uh, hit something in the trail. I'm going to have to go back and look because I still don't know what it was. But the next thing I knew, I was over the handlebars and I landed uh, on top of a dead fallen tree with a bunch of old dead branches sticking up. And some of them were sharp because they'd been broken off. And yeah, took a huge gouge out of my leg right below the knee. And I was bleeding profusely and, and I banged my hip and I, I thought I'd broken my leg. I, it took me three or four minutes to be able to, to stand up and, and get out of this tangle. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing about it now, uh, but uh, at the time I, I wasn't sure. And I was by myself, which you're not supposed to do, but uh, normally there's three or four or five people who might be able to go with me, but everybody had something else going on. One, My son Jonathan had a broken bicycle, and so it, nobody went with me, but I do this by myself quite often, and again, it's it's never been an issue, but, to, but, but this day it was. So um, at any rate, uh, the bicycle was still in one piece and it still rolled and I was able to gingerly get my leg over the bike with all this blood coming down my leg. And it was essentially downhill from where I was back to the car about a mile. And you know, I had to pedal a little bit and I was kind of amazed that I was able to pedal. Um, got to the car, drove myself to the emergency room. I came limping up and the nurse is out front because it covid right and she looks at me and she's like oh uh yeah we'll take you right back and you know of course emergency rooms are all full right now because of covid patients and they took me back and put me in a room and four hours later i came out with a bunch of stitches 13 on top and then they actually the gouge was so big they had to kind of sew my flesh together underneath uh with the kind of stitches that uh, that dissolve um so i'm limping around now and um uh, you know, I, I, I don't, still don't know what happened. I have to go back to the scene of the crime and figure out what it was because the trail looked wide open and it was a, a very easy trail. Uh, but there was a rock there or, or something that I, I didn't see. Um, so thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And I, I hope my tale of woe uh, <laughs> was at least interesting and worth your time. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, there's something else that has happened to me that is sarcoidosis related, and I'll bet that you can relate to this. Now, I take Humira, and since I've been on Humira, I have uh, been in, uh, I have not had any flares. Uh, and the doctors had told me way back when that my body was rejecting Remicade, which had also been working. Uh, it was building up antibodies for Remicade, but Humira is a cousin. Uh, biological, but you're not supposed to get the antibodies to it. And so they started giving me that and it started working. But of course, Humira is not considered a drug. 
that uh, is in the uh, the menu to treat sarcoidosis. At least the doctors have it in their menu, but the uh, insurance companies have not bought into that. And I think part of the reason is that Humira is expensive. So anyway, my prescription ran out. And then once that happens, you need to get, and you may or may not know this, I didn't, you need to get another pre-authorization. What's a pre-authorization? Well, it's something the insurance companies want to uh, give you uh, a renewal of their coverage of that prescription. So I get mine from CVS Specialty Pharmacy, and they just kept sending me emails. Uh, Your prescription has been rejected by your insurance company, but don't worry, you don't need to do anything at this time. We are reaching out to your doctor's office, to your insurance company, whatever. Well, I don't know who they were reaching out to, and and they may have been doing it, but this was clearly a an auto-generated email. It was not written by a person, and every time I received it, which was, I don't know, it was it was regularly. I couldn't tell you if it was one or two or three times a week. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm running out of Humira, and CVS keeps saying, don't worry, we're taking care of it. Don't worry, we're taking care of it. And the, the bottom line is, is that even if they thought they were taking care of it, it wasn't working. Whatever they were doing, if it was anything, wasn't working. Um, so I contacted my doctor and said, this keeps getting rejected. And he and so they said, oh, yeah. The, actually, I caught, contacted my insurance company, and they have someone who calls me every so often who says, I'm your insurance uh, helper. Uh, I work with Aetna, and uh, I can help you navigate any problems. So I called her, and she said, yeah, you're right. It has The, the reason it's being rejected is that uh, it has um, uh, expired. So uh, that was good. So then I contacted my doctor and said, well, we need to re-prescribe it. He said, okay, got it. So he re-prescribes it. And of course it was declined. <laughs> and why would, I don't know why it would be declined because I've been taking it and it's been working and he sends in a new prescription, but this is the way the insurance companies work. And this is what I want you to know. So uh, this apparently is typical. And I've talked to several doctors about this since, and they say, yeah, they, they want to get this an additional pre-authorization. So once it expires, you need to get another pre-authorization, which sounds odd to me because of the word pre. So and and so the doctor goes ahead and he sends it in and it's declined. So then he does an appeal and it was approved uh, upon appeal. Meanwhile, the clock is ticking and I'm running out of product, uh, but it was approved and they overnighted me, CVS overnighted me my prescription, and I received my medication on time on the day I need it. But I will tell you that I had stockpiled. Uh, somehow I had gotten ahead by a couple of weeks, and had I not done that, I would have been taking no Humira for at least two, maybe three weeks before um before I got it. So I was able to uh, keep myself covered in the meantime. But just know that at the end, whatever your prescription duration is, be watching for that. And if you're taking uh, Humira or it could be Remicade, uh, that I had some difficulty initially getting Remicade because sarcoidosis is just a, a disease where there are some drugs like Humira that seem to work. Nobody knows exactly why and there's not it's a difficult argument for doctors when it's not one of I mean if you have lupus uh, I think it's lupus um, or one of the drugs where you know Humira is uh, considered to be the main go-to well then it gets approved right away but when you get into sarcoidosis there's a bunch of drugs that seem to work but they are not considered to be a sarcoidosis drug and the insurance companies often reject it and then even if you're on it uh, they want you to prove it again whenever it expires, and it is a lengthy process. I'm so help, so happy that I have very helpful doctors and nurses, and they were on it, and they pushed it through for me at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay, that's my rant. Now, today is Frank Rivera. Frank 
in my mind, may be the godfather of sarcoidosis outreach. He is a SARC fighter. He has uh, living up on Long Island. He was my first interview on the SARC fighter podcast. We met at an advocates meeting outside Washington, D.C. in early 2020 before the COVID outbreak. And so I got to know him and my first interview with him was in person. Uh, But Frank is very active, but also very sick. He has SARC all over his body all over his body, inside, outside, you name it, and uh, he's, he's very sick, but he is so active, he's so proactive in trying to fight sarcoidosis. Um, and so if you remember, we talked uh, a bit on the podcast about COVID-19 risk and sarcoidosis with Dr. Robert Boffman at the University of Cincinnati, and his research initially is suggesting that there's no significant additional risk to the sarcoidosis population at large unless you live with somebody who has sarcoidosis. Um, So you don't seem to catch it any easier, even though we're taking all these immune suppressant drugs. So that's good news. Uh, And he's doing a follow-up survey, and so far that's seeming to confirm that. So I want to put that out there. But Frank got COVID back in March, and it was a bad case. He'll be talking about that in the interview, and I'll let you tell him the scary details, but, but it was bad. All right. I mean, it was he was clinging to life at one point. It was that bad. But then he began recovering and seemed like he had kicked it, but it came back. And this does happen in a small number of COVID patients. And we've done some stories on the news with it, but it's called long COVID. And that's what Frank has. Like he needed one more thing. So coming up, my interview with Frank Rivera. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS, kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Frank Rivera is joining me now on the podcast and Frank has been on the uh, on the podcast before in fact he was the first Sark fighter interviewed when we started the podcast in early 2020 and unfortunately since last time Frank you have undergone um, a bout with COVID-19 first of all welcome to the podcast thank you very much thank you for having me on and, and I really appreciate it yeah, sure. And second of all, uh, I am so sorry that you were, you were one of those among our population that had COVID and you continue to have it. What's going on? Um, yeah, I, I got COVID early in March. Um, actually, was di- it, it was diagnosed by in March 17th, but I knew I had it earlier than that. It just took a long time for the test results to come back because it was so early in the process. Um, and New York, of course, was getting hit really, really bad in March, um, the beginning of March and all the way through April. Um, so, yeah, I, for me, I just thought it was a regular cold because, or regular sarcoidosis things going on um, because a lot of them were the same, mirrored the same thing until I got a fever. And because I don't get fevers, my temperature w- runs low. Um, it's 96 something where it usually runs. And when I started, even a 99 fever was a lot for me. (laughs) So, um, and I could tell between the fever and the fatigue that it wasn't just that. So I ended up going to the doctors and then they shooed me out of the doctor's office. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Go get tests. (laughs) Go get a test. Uh, and here's an interesting fact is my first test that I got was actually came back inconclusive. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, I, my doctor was like, 
I never heard of that. <laughs> and actually huh. called the Department of Health to find out what that meant. And they were like, it, what really, really what it meant was to a person who did the swab didn't go deep enough for it to get what it needed. So that's why it came back inconclusive. But at that so point, people really weren't, the, I mean, there were no cases in the United States or very few. So people weren't really looking for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, um, I mean, really in the beginning. Um, I think like just in New York alone, I mean, I know New York got hit early, but it was still very, very, very low. And like the doctors, like I said, the doctors didn't even know what to do. They were like, uh, you got, you may have COVID, get out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Holy cow. Well, of course, you you know, what do you do? You're in bed rest and, and, and hope that for the best. But not, and I want to, I want to let listeners know that we're going to talk about everything that it did to you and then how mm-hmm. it sort of slowly triggered some things um, in your, in your body. But one of the one of the things I want to put right out there, if people haven't listened to episode one, they should. They should go back and listen to that because your story is is amazing. But you now have sarcoidosis in every organ in your body. I don't yes. know how you're walking around. <laughs> um, yeah. And you are you are one of the loudest voices in the fight against sarcoidosis. Uh, you've been extremely effective with all of your activities and and some of the things that you host and and again I want to get to I want to get to all of that, um, but uh, let's take this through. So you got sick. How sick were you when you realized you had COVID and you're going through the symptoms that we're now talking about on the news every day? In the beginning, um, first my lungs. It's the first thing that I had sarcoidosis in, but um, for the last five years, my lungs were actually the best out of all the places that I had sarcoidosis until all of a sudden I started to feel like, I I mean, everybody talks about the elephant on your chest. Yeah, that's what I was (laughs) feeling. It was just like, so I I woke up a a flight of stairs and I had to stop halfway through. Mm. Um, and that's not me. I'm able to usually at least, you know, my pulmonary function tests. I mean, all, everything was 95 or better. Um, all, even my oxygen level was, um, I don't think it ever got lower than 95 other than being in the hospital back way back when. Um, so yeah, I just like, I'm like, I know something's going on and I like, because of being with sarcoidosis, like we already are quarantining for most of our time. Uh, yeah. We're always, we're always worried about, you know, what, what we could catch. And so I was quarantining. So I don't, I, it kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, where did I get this from? I have no clue. Um, and think and tracing back in, the, in March was pretty much non-existent. Of course. So it really, so it's really hard to figure it out. So I don't know where I got it, but I do know that all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. I was, um, like I said, I, the headaches were really bad, and I have migraines. But these things were like, I don't want to see the light. I don't want to. I mean, just I just basically for the first two weeks I was just in my room um, by myself. Unfortunately, my wife had to go sleep in another room um, of the house and. I was really quarantining even before I actually got the, um, you know, the diagnosis of. Yeah. Did she, did she get it? Did Diana get it? No, Diana didn't, didn't get it. My daughter didn't get it. Um, yeah, I was really lucky. (laughs) Holy cow. So, so the elephant on your chest, you can't walk up and down the stairs. You're quarantining. Mm -hmm. You had the fever. Yes. Had the fever. and, and the fever uh, wouldn't cut cut down either at all. Were were you scared? Oh yeah, because I mean, when when you hear that you know pre-existing conditions, if they get you know they get COVID, they're probably gonna die. And um, <laughs> I won't lie, at some points of the time, not saying I want to kill myself, but I wanted to die. It was bad. It felt it felt worse than even my worst um, sock flare up. It was because it was just so heavy it was like it was like sarcoidosis just magnified <laughs> um and and yeah because i was like the fatigue i was getting like i said i couldn't get out of bed and then 
like the breathing, I ended up on an oxygen machine. Um, uh, it was just, I was using a nebulizer. Uh, at one point I was actually called up the doctor. I said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And that was my pulmonologist. And he called the sarcoidosis specialist and they both made a decision. They said to me that if I go to the hospital, I'll die. Really? Yeah, that was it. Because by the time I thought about going to the hospital, there's two hospitals that are next to me. One is Stony Brook University, which is one of the largest hospitals on Long Island. And then there's another one, a private one called Mather, uh, Mather, uh, Mather Hospital. And Mather Hospital literally had one bed left. And then Stony Brook were actually made an outside unit. So um, my doctors were like, "Yeah, basically, a you're walking into a, pe a petri dish." <laughs> right. And, there's so many other sick people. <clears throat> yeah, to me. Yeah. And with um, sarcoidosis, you don't want to be around sick people, <laughs> even if they don't have COVID. They could have something else that could get you sick. And at that point, that's when they really were on the using the ventilators a lot. They put everybody on a ventilator, put everybody on the ventilator. And um, both my doctors said my lungs probably would not have made it through a ventilator. So they made the, a different decision to actually keep me home. So you, so you stayed home, you, you kind of suffered through the worst of the symptoms and slowly began to improve. So maybe the doctors, yeah. you know, made the best decision there. Um, mm -hmm. how, did, how did you know that you were feeling, quote unquote, well again? Well, the first things were the headaches with it started going away. Um, and that, that was like, thank you, because the headache, I mean, you know, having sarcoidosis, you know, you know, if you're in a flare up, you, when, when you can't breathe, you know, you give, you've been through it before. Yeah. Um, and same thing with like fatigue, we've been through it before, <laughs> but the headaches were just so, I mean, amazingly bad. Um, so that would first to go, start going away. And then, um, my breathing started to catch up a little bit better. Um, one thing I did want to say is there was two nights where my wife actually had to sit in the room, even though I had COVID, she still sat in the room to watch to make sure I was breathing through the night. That's how bad it was at one point. Really? Um, so I just, you know, thank you to my wife. Um, to, I mean, that's a big sacrifice, <laughs> to, you know, knowing she could have got it herself. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so then my breathing started. The fatigue was still there. It lasted a, while, a, a little longer than everything else. But um, I also got, and this was before they knew about the skin rash. Um, I had skin rashes all over my arms, my, both my arms, my chest and my back was like filled with rash, rashes. And, um, so that slowly went away. So then like, I, like, like I said, it was early March and then by early to mid May is when I really started to feel better. Yeah. And that, that was good, a good month before. Now, and I, but what what we are starting to see some reporting on now, uh, in fact, as you and I were were leading up to this, uh, is they have discovered that a lot of people have a uh, something in their body that's dormant that is triggered by a virus, and it can it might be any virus, uh, but unfortunately, the COVID virus uh, is one of them. And in your case, that triggered something called long COVID. Yes. So you started feeling better and then you started feeling worse and you still don't feel great. So yes. let's, so are we agreed that you're one of those people that, that had that trigger? Yes. Um, it's the first thing that doc, one of the doctors said to me is that you, there's something in your body that got triggered. Um, and now that it's, like I, uh, uh, the best way to describe it really is I have five di, you know, as they call it, confirmed diagnosis diseases. Okay, and um, 
as of right now, I actually got a new paper of my diseases. I have a total of 16. So I got 11 new ones um, from, co from COVID. Um, and well, the thing is, is like my sarcoidosis doctor wants to say it's all because of COVID, but then he's looking and he's like, well, could it be, <laughs> could it be COVID slash sarcoid or uh, sarcoid trying to fight off what COVID is bringing to my body? Cause that's what's, you know, the whole, it's a very bit vicious circle. <laughs> um, sure. cause, cause sarcoid really, you know, it's really overactive cells mm -hmm. and that, that are going to fight off a cold or whatever and well when your body's when your whole body has a cold so it's kind of like this vicious circle um but it has been it is so hard to deal with uh because they don't know how to treat it i mean there's no like at least with sarcoid we have even though we don't have a cure drug we have drugs that help us live uh, right. as normal as we can. Right. Um, they don't have that for COVID. There's nothing, you know, they weren't sure. ready sure. for something like that. Yeah. So, well, hopefully been, the vaccine will come out soon. So, yes. so this long COVID, because I've seen some of your posts on Facebook and, you know, mm -hmm. follow some, some of what you got going on, but you know, you, you were, you were in pretty bad shape after this yeah. came back so did it did it come back with those same type of symptoms that you had initially yeah but then it, it actually affected specific parts of um like i didn't have i didn't first of all i didn't have sarcoid in my um my liver or kidneys and now i do and then it started attacking my heart even more than it was like before I was, I have a, a loop monitor to check my heart and everything, but now my, my, I have high ta tachycardia now, now um, pretty high. I mean, the lowest my resting heart rate is, is 90 now. And that's just resting. Um, really? It got up to 200 at one point. <laughs> my, wow. my bottom, yeah, it was, my um, blood pressure was at one point, 170 over 200 so cow wow yeah and they that's, i mean and that's ongoing right because of the yeah and right, even right now like i still spike up um just last week it was uh 150 over it was like 163 i think it was 163 160 something wow. so um it's still ongoing it doesn't it flip-flops it goes back and forth and it really does play a part on your mental health too, because you don't know, you know, like I, I've always been, and I, I think I even said in the first one is if I know what's going on, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it is a disease. I understand that, but at least I know what it is and I know this, how are we going to fight it? But with this, there, there is nothing to fight it. I mean, basically they're trying to fight it like with re just regular drugs and not working like like it would for a normal person. So um, I've been on and off all these different types of drugs. Uh, I mean, hard, hard drugs. Uh, it affected, really affected my, I, um, I have IBS as one of my main other diseases that I've had for a while, but it really messed that up. Um, irritable bowel. Having, yeah, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. yeah, it's really messed that up a lot Where to the point where, either I don't want to eat or when I do eat, it goes right through me and I'm just, I, it's not, I'm not getting the nutrients in my system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this, it's like, I mean, I look, I got this thing and it's like, uh, I, I had a TIA um, just uh, two months ago and I never had before. Um, nerve, I got nerve palsy. <laughs> um that i've never had before and cataracts are now coming in so i expected my eyes a lot more than it has before like my, my eyeglasses i mean i i went and tried to get a new set and even they don't help me at all wow it's really yeah so it's kind of different that's the thing it's so different than just sarcoidosis sarcoidosis was like all right you get pain you know you have it in arthritis you get the pains there well, right. this is like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That makes it tough. 
Uh, so do you, uh, are you guys wearing masks in the house or do you ever get to leave the house or what is, what is your status? <laughs> I've gone out just a couple of times, not many, um, just for sanity's sake. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is just car drives, <laughs> even it's still not like going out, out it's car drives. Um, I did one go, I did want to go see my daughter sing uh because they were allowed back and that's something that she really loves to do and i and um being a father it's just something that you'll you know prou i'm proud of her and i wanted to see her do it because she's getting you know she's 17 so she's gonna age out of the school of rock next year so it's like something i wanted to do but I stayed away from everybody. <laughs> it's like the person way in the back. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But as long as I got to hear it. Um, yeah. yeah, I wear masks almost all the time. Um, my family, as soon as like my wife actually took off, three months off of work um, during when I, I, when I was diagnosed with um, COVID, she actually took off three months. Um, she had the time saved, so she used it all, all up for that. But then when she went back to work, now she, as soon as she comes in, she has a change of clothes and the bathroom and she goes right into the bathroom and takes a shower. <laughs> and St. My daughter does the same thing. And, you know, she goes to school a lot. She's, and she's doing the distance learning. So she's not even right. going to school be, just right. because of me. But when so, they I come mean, in, it's changed so her life. So they're doing everything they can to keep you in a virus-free environment, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Even though you've got the antibodies already in your body, uh, yeah. one would think that that you would be okay. I, I I wonder if it's the virus being active or if the virus has come and gone, but it triggered all these things, and those things are what's causing your dismay now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm that, thinking. That, yeah, I mean – you know, who am I to say? I'm just wondering yeah. how, how things work yeah. because I've read that's, some articles. That's what we, yeah, that's what we, um, and if, it's funny, as much as like you talk about that, even the, even our doctor, my doctors are saying the same thing. How am I supposed to know? We've never had this before. I am, you know, there's no book on this. <laughs> yeah. So um, they do a lot of the same things. Um, a little bit more educated guesses on, how it will react to my other medicines is really what that, you know, my other, um, right. you know, problem diagnosis is. That's you're, a, that you're taking thing. right now. You're taking Humira and what else? Yes. Um, I'm taking Humira. I'm taking uh bistolic for my heart. Um, I'm taking amnotriptyline for my um, headaches. And I'm actually just started the Botox for my, um, for migraines uh -huh. um it the problem with that is like you get it once every three months but it takes three three um three times you have to do three times to do it for it to actually fully work so it takes nine months for before it actually works <laughs> so that's why i'm still on hopefully i'll be off the amtriptyline once the botox does kick in um um uh, I, back on prednisone again um, I was off for it for a while, but it's, it's a low dose, but, um, um, really the, the big things is like inhalers. I'm on, you know, albuterol and I'm also on Simbacort and have those things are steadies <laughs> for me. Um, and then the Umera, like I said earlier is really, I've only used four. Yeah. It's my fourth one. And I can definitely feel the difference with the Umera. Um, so that, um, it, it, like, like I was saying about, you know, having trouble breathing, going up a flight of stairs, it hurts so much to even go up the flight of stairs as well as not being able to breathe. Um, the, so that, that's now at least leveled off a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, trying to think, yeah, I take, I'm taking one for high cholesterol, Crestor, and because my cholesterol just jumped up out of nowhere. <laughs> I tell you, so I mean, you're taking all of these drugs. I feel sorry for myself because you know when I get up in the morning, mm -hmm. I've got all my drugs lined up that I take yeah. in the evening, the same thing, and 
Uh, and I think, man, you know, I used to be such a healthy person and now I'm taking all these drugs, but my menu is about, you know, a 10th of your menu. <laughs> I feel so well, bad yeah. for you. Well, you know, you kind of get used to taking them. It's just a matter of, um, well, for me, like I, you know, I also have Parkinson's and, uh, uh it, you know, I've had that before this and they, um, it's actually incited my, I used to have it mostly on my left side, but now my right side is starting to kick in. Um, and my Parkinson's doctor doesn't know, he doesn't know why other than, you know, something must have excited it. Um, but because, I mean, my right side, it wasn't like I never shake, but it was very, very rarely. Um, and it's now they both um, have the same kind of tremors. And so, you know, it's starting to take a little bit over on the right side too. So it's kind of, you know, it's, everything's get, got put up to the umph degree now. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so what is your day like? Do you, you, do you sleep in? Can you get enough rest? Do you have the fatigue or are you really getting a lot of binge watching in with Netflix? I mean, how? Yeah, it's what, a lot of, yeah. Um, my sleep patterns are way, way off. Um, I was just saying this last to my doctor two days ago is one day I'll sleep an hour for the whole day. And then the next day I'll sleep or not even or two days later, I'll sleep all day and just crash. It's not, and it's not anywhere in between. Uh, my anxiety has been very high because of not knowing what's going on. But then it's almost like, it's really weird. It's, I don't want to call myself bipolar, but it almost is like that because I get really, really high. And when I'm high at highs, my anxiety is very high, but then I get really low depression where I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want, I'm actually uh, going to see a psychiatrist um, on Saturday to see if we can try to get that at a level where I'm not, you know, cause my sleeping average, we, um, I have a counselor and I talk to her every week and I have to write in my, I have my own book of like how long I slept. And for the last two months, I've averaged maybe like four hours sleep a day. <laughs> maybe. Well, that's when your body repairs itself. You've got to yeah. get that. <laughs> exactly. My mind starts and my mind starts going and then it's like, all right, you know, try this, try yoga, try, you know, uh, meditating and, I try it and some reason my mind is just goes and that it's just like, all right, what, don't, what am I going to do? What do I have to do tomorrow? You know, I just starts going like crazy, like a mile a minute. Yeah. So, so you're seeing, uh, cause I would imagine a lot of listeners are trying to figure out whether they have long COVID or they're, they are dealing with just the effects of sarcoidosis, which is what we usually talk about here. Mm -hmm. Um, we, I want to get more into the mental health aspect of coping with this disease. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've certainly had trouble. Um, so you see a counselor uh, and is that because of long COVID or is that just something that you have ongoing because of SARC? Uh, this counselor, I've, um, ever since I was diagnosed in 2011, I've been seeing her um, and to deal with the, with that part of the sarcoidosis aspect of it. But then when COVID came, um, A, I couldn't see her. It was, everything was a phone call. Um, and B, uh, she even said like, I'd be talking to her and I'd be talking to her a mile a minute. And she's like, take a deep breath, <laughs> stop. <laughs> and she's like, wow, you were, you were so you know, wound up. And I was like, uh, and then all of a sudden she'll be talking to me and it'll be like two minutes later. I'm just uh, like catching my breath. She could actually hear me breathing heavy. And she's yeah. like, are you, are you okay? Do we need to call the doctor? I'm like, no, I'm just, it just all of a sudden hit me. And she's like, uh, you know, and she's a great counselor. I mean, she's helped me so much. Like I've said on the first one, um, you know, 2015, I, thought about committing suicide. She's the one who talked me out of it um, and, and told me to go check for, check in for 72 hours watch, which is, you know, go to the hospital and 
they watch it for 72 hours. And um, and she's always around. Like uh, my counselor, like I said, she, I, I could call her anytime. And as long as she doesn't have a patient, she'll answer and talk to me. And she knows now because of what's going on, of how high and low I'm, I get, it's kind of scary. So she um, answers as much as possible. But then, like I said, she just said that I should go see a psychiatrist. So hopefully, she's like, I know you don't want to be on any more medicines you're already on, but you know you don't want to live like this. And it's true. It's just it's almost ex- exhausting to be like you know because you're so high up and so anxious and then so yeah. low. Your body it just your body just doesn't know where it is anymore. Right. Well, and now uh, despite uh, where you are and how you feel, you continue to host and moderate and put out programs to help other patients. And yeah. I'm, I'm so impressed <laughs> that, that you. you continue to do that despite how you feel. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you do regularly and then some of the special events that you have that you're working on? Yeah, regularly, um, since I'm home, I'm doing, it's actually, I think it's helped me out staying home because, you know, I'm not running around having to meet this person. Um, Zoom has been, you know, <laughs> as they say, has been a godsend. Um, I've been de- dealing, I still deal with um, an organization called RDLA. Uh, what they do is they help rare disease legislation. Um, and then they put, they pass, uh, try to get things passed. So, I mean, I work with them. Um, but the good thing is like, even though I work with other groups, like all, I'm very, very upfront about it is that I may feel good today, but I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. So, you know, you kind of bear with me. And most of them know that because they are de- dealing with other rare diseases that do the same kind of thing. Um, but I've been really working with another organization called WeGo Health, and WeGo Health is—they re- uh, are not just for rare diseases. They help every kind of diseases. Um, goes from—they you know, have HIV, has bulimia, they have, you know, MS. It doesn't matter. Um, Parkinson's. They have people from Parkinson's. They have, um, and but then they also have mental health people that talk about mental health and how it affected them and you know they call patient leaders um and it's really not it's been really good to work with them um because you really uh, get to collaborate with a lot of them and we've worked on different different items um and each one of us like especially like if you for me it is like working with I call it big box, like, you know, MS, right? you know, when right. you have, they have, the, uh, or even Parkinson's, they have those big, the big groups and it's not, you learn a lot. Those are not orphan diseases. Yeah, exactly. Like, like sarcoidosis over there in the corner, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Get, I got to learn a lot from them. Um, actually, I went to one of their webinars and they were talking about the first thing, my first webinar that um, I was just about to do, it was actually like that week. They were talking about social justice with everything going on in the um, United States and, um, you know, how it's affecting people. I, I run a um, sarcoidosis virtual support group, and that's a national, actually, I've actually had people from all over, but um, it's open to everybody. And our, as you can see, when the social justice started to happen, when everything started to happen, our numbers started to drop. And I was wondering what was going on. So I started calling people to find out why aren't you coming to the meetings anymore? And a lot of, there was some people like, I, I'm afraid to say anything, whether, you know, you know to offend somebody else. Cause, and then some of them are so mad because of what's going on and they didn't wanna, you know, uh, ruin the meetings i'm like well a meeting is supposed to be about your your feelings and helping and everybody supporting it so that in august i made this one um for this is the very first time i I did a forum i actually did a social justice forum and this was just for sarcoidosis patients because 
um, as you know, the a majority of Sarkar's patients are African American women, right. and and then African American men, of course, are a high a high risk also. Yeah. So, but I didn't make the social justice forum just for African Americans. I made it for everyone. I wanted everybody, like the panel. I had psychiatrists. I had doctors, psychiatrists, doctors. Um, I had government officials. I wanted everybody. I had uh, a pastor, uh, actually two, and I wanted everybody to be able to talk about it. And every and like some people said to me, "Oh, you do, you know, you just do, you know, catering to." African-Americans. I'm like, no, I'm like, you need to hear this just as much as they need to hear what's going on. We're never going to be a country until we all listen to each other. <laughs> and, That's true. You know? That's true. So, I believe that. Yeah. And so I, um, it went over really well. We had a, um, people that showed up to the Zoom meeting alone was uh, 93 people. Um, and then we also streamed it to Facebook Live, and that had over 83 people there. So, I mean, it was nice. Yeah. Um, so now, since of my health, I, I'm only doing, you know, I'm not doing as much as I used to. Um, I know my limitations, and I always kid around, but it's sort of kidding around. My, my, my wife <laughs> will kill me if I keep on at the same pace that I was on. <laughs> right, right. Well, of course, and if you're only getting four hours sleep and you can't turn your mind off and you're worried about all the logistics for putting together these programs, uh, yeah. uh, your your wife might be right, Frank. <laughs> yeah, she definitely is right. And I, I understand it. But it's one thing, I mean, we had a compromise because one thing for me is I tried to stop altogether, um, stop doing any kind of advocating for a little while. And I found my... I was just sitting there and thinking about, you know, and thinking and thinking and thinking and nothing to get my mind off of it per se. Yep. So I was like, all right. So I kind of worked with my wife. Uh, I work on one pop project at a time and that's it. <laughs> right. right. Um, do you like, have a, a I'm yes. pretty sure that you do have a website where I can put links in the show notes where people can find out about, in other words, if they want to join the sarcoidosis virtual support group, or yes. if you have a, uh, a special event coming up of some kind, um, mm -hmm. that's all on your website. What is that? Yeah. Um, actually we just opened up, we started a new nonprofit organization. It's myself. It's Kerry Wong, um, Kathleen Tarano, um, and Cheryl Bradford. It's okay. Called, it's called Stronger Than Sarcoidosis. Um, okay, I've seen that, yes. Yeah. Um, the reason we did that is because I had sarcoidosis of Long Island, and but people will look over it if they're not from Long Island, you know, because <laughs> so I wanted them to be able, anybody to call me at any time. So we started this for patients for patients um, to help patients. And part of it is this education program that um, I'm working, I've been working on with these forums. Um, and it's www.strongerthansarcoidosis.org. Um, and it, the event page there is always updated. Um, and it, it talks about like how they can register for like my new forum that we're having. We're actually having a, a chronic pain. We, we widened it out to chronic pain um, and mental health. Um, yeah. And that, um, I, I think that that will have already happened by the time yeah. this podcast goes live. So um, so yeah, I, I don't want to direct we'll, people to it, but will there yeah. be a, a way they can look at that? As yeah, a, as we, are, we are recording it. We will have it recorded. It'll be on our website and it'll also be on our YouTube page also, Stronger Than Sarcoidosis YouTube page. Okay. And that's um, Catherine, um, I'm sorry, that's um, Carrie Wong, who's yeah. been on the podcast, and Cheryl yeah. Bradford, who's been on the podcast. Yeah. And Kathleen Toronto, um, she, she's my vice president from Sarcoidosis of Long Island, and she, was, she wasn't at our... Um, our ambassador meeting last uh, last time, yeah, but she's been a, 
Yeah, she's been an ambassador for four years. Um, it's just that she wasn't able to make it that time. But yeah, she so and she's been working with me for six years um, on my Socrates of Long Island. And so yeah, and the reason we made it is not to we're not going against um, the National Organization Foundation for Sarcoidosis. For, uh, Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. We're not going against them. We're actually trying to help them alleviate some of the um, the calls that they do get. You know, they get you know a lot of times they get calls from patients, and you know by the time they reach out to one of us, there's that long it's a, a delay of like a week or two before that original patient called FSR. So now you know what we're trying to do is kind of if they call, we have four people here that, you know, already deal with sarcoidosis and know what sarcoidosis is all about. And we could help them a lot, a lot easier, especially with the little things like um, finding them a doctor or even just talking about a medicine, you know, how, and we always tell everybody we're not doctors, <laughs> um, right. but this is how this medicine reacted with us. And I could tell you how it reacted to others because I've talked to so many of people that have, you know, used almost every medicine that we use. Um, so they get that little bit of a quicker response. Um, yeah. And it helps FSR. FSR, you know, they do great things. They do great things with research. They still, you know, they still do have a great patient, you know, program. Um, it's just something just kind of help them out a little bit. And um, so, you know, that's what we're keeping it for. It's not, we're not going. We're not going against anybody. We don't want it. I definitely don't want anybody to think we are. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, FSR is doing some great stuff, and yes. And exactly. the last thing we want to do is is splinter the sarcoidosis world. And so, I mean, they they need every ounce of support they can get, uh, mm -hmm. so they can continue to do their good work. And and the ambassador program is fellow Sark fighters, Sark warriors that um, other people can call to get mm -hmm. guidance. And that I know yes. everybody that I mentioned, that you mentioned has been an ambassador. Yes. Um, I guess the new word is advocate. advocate uh, and yeah. and I, I'm one also, uh, but I'm not one of the people that uh, is on the list for folks to call because my job is to do this podcast yes. and, to sort, <laughs> and sort of get the word out there for everybody else. So that's sort of my role in the whole thing. Um, and, and I'm really happy to do that but you know you've you're you you're like the the nucleus of this whole thing so <laughs> Thank uh, you. uh people should know that you really do work hard and and you've been very effective in getting the word out how often are you doing the support group now um the support group we do twice a month um especially during these times actually we went up when it was really bad when everybody was pretty much on they didn't call it lockdown, but, you know, stay home. Um, when everybody was on stay home, um, we went up to three times a month. And we were still getting 30 people <laughs> each each time. Um, we still, I mean, I'd say we average right around 25 right now. Um, but we actually just had one yesterday. But, yeah, so it's been, it's going well. And we're seeing new people, which is nice. It's not just, it's not, I mean, we have a, a core people that come every time, but then almost every meeting we'll see, have one, at least one or two new people. And that's something that we, that's something that I was striving for in the beginning is yeah. at least each time we have one, get somebody new in and, and let them know they're not alone. That, you know, my, I've always said my favorite saying, you are not alone. Um, and I just want to make sure that, and it's a place where they can talk and they can say whatever they want. Um, it's only first names. Um, so we don't, and if you want to call in and you don't want to be on video, you can call in too. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, so everybody can talk and it gives it, like I said, it just gives a platform for everybody on stuff they don't understand, which, you know, with sarcoidosis can be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it is. And, and so all the information will be at strongerthansarcoidosis.org? Yes, yes, definitely. All that's in, on there, the, um, yeah. all our events and everything is also on there. All right. 
So as we begin to wrap up, we talked about your journey through having COVID and then long COVID. Where are you now and what is your prognosis going forward? Um, where am I now? Right now, um, when it comes to, um, I'm in more pain than I have been in a long time. Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, the emotional stuff has been a little hard just to get used to. Um, but right now, I'd say I'm a lot better than I was when I first got the post-COVID in the respects of I'm starting to understand it a little bit more. Before, I didn't understand it, which made it really hard. Um, and I also now have built boundaries. Um, it's okay to say no <laughs> at times, you know. Uh, I was never really one who would say no. I would always try to help everybody else out. And I, and, you know, you can't help everybody else if you're in bed sick. <laughs> um, so I've decided, like I said, I do one project at a time. Um, we actually, you know, this mental health project that is going to happen, we're actually going to be doing it quarterly now. Um, and it looks like we're going to have a sponsor. Um, I'm not going to say yet because it's not, it's not signed yet, (laughs) but they seemed, they seem very, um, very, um, interested. They actually gave us, um, a link that we can use for sarcoidosis patients and chronic pain patients, um, that they can get 20% off. It's a online therapy.com. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they gave they gave um, gave me a link where people can sign in on this link and they can get twenty percent off of their their copay or the the so that's yeah. you know it always helps yeah. um, and they speak you know they get to speak online to a counselor uh, licensed counselor um, and we're going to continue to work with them and the more people that we get to sign up the more of a discount they said and so we're working on that at this point um but and you know so it's nice to have that partner especially with mental health it's so hard to get (laughs) it's so hard to get mental health i mean i could just tell you Mm. that trying to find a psychiatrist the first four people that i called didn't have anything open for four months (laughs) <laughs> like right, that. right. Like, How is that going to help me? Everybody's going nuts just from yeah. COVID all by itself. Exactly, they're, they're stir crazy from being cooped up at home, and mm-hmm. oh, we're doing stories on the news every night about how the mental health aspects are are terrible. And 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 on a sad note, uh, uh, a friend of mine um, committed suicide. Oh, and, and he was yeah. a pillar in the community and a <clears throat> gifted wow. athlete and. A uh, businessman, and um, and he, you know, and his wife just came right out and said, "Look, it was it was being cooped up with COVID. He was a people person, and when you took mm-hmm. the people away from him, he was a swim coach, um, and he couldn't do all that anymore. Uh, it just it literally uh, it killed him. So uh, I'm not surprised then that uh, uh, that you're having a hard time finding a counselor because yeah. everybody's booked." Everything. Yeah, and we—I was lucky to find one, um, but then you know it—that—it's kind of not funny, but it's kind of weird that what happens to me is usually what makes me go and do my next thing. I <laughs> uh, see if it's happening to me, it must be happening to other people. So hence why the mental health project we're doing now—we um, have—we're uh, gonna have four uh, therapists on the panel just to talk and that's going to be a regular now like the people that are the patient panelists will probably change um each time because i'd like to get a well-rounded opinion from all different types of patients um actually one of the patients that is doing this our one her name is deanna nagel she's actually a sarcoidosis patient Really, <laughs> I I didn't I have never met her, and she's also a psychotherapist. <laughs> really? Yeah. So um, it'd be nice to see you know have her on a panel, um, and it's just nice to see you know get the. I want everybody to. It goes back to you're not alone. I want everybody to know that they can talk about it, 
And one of the big things is I'm trying to get men involved because men are the hardest ones to go see a who want to go see a counselor. <laughs> you know, um, we were always told when we were growing up, you know, you're the man of the house or you're the big one or you, you know, you can't show emotion. Um, and get. You know, I go back to two and a half years ago, I knew 18 sarcoidosis patients who committed suicide. And out of those 18, 13 of them were men. And yeah. So, really? Mm -hmm. So that tells me that men aren't, you know, aren't following through or, or going to see someone to talk to. And we can't have that. <laughs> well, men, men are traditionally not good at sharing their feelings. Yes, so that's, exactly. That's but all our counselors that we have on are men. So I really, I thought it would, I did that kind of on purpose to, you know, you can talk to this guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, and if you talk to them, they just, they're really like down the earth, like talking, like, you know, everything about sports we were talking about and, and all this other stuff. So it kind of makes everybody feel comfortable, I, I would think. <laughs> so uh, that's what yeah. i'm hoping that's my goal <laughs> right. all right frank well i'll put all the links to what you're doing in the show notes but the most important yes. thing is is thank you for coming on sharing your story and we hope that you oh, can no uh continue to improve from long covid yeah i you know it's a step it's a you know what they call a hurdle but i've had many of them before so i'll just take it as it comes <laughs> With, my, right. with smiling and laughing. There you go. Well, thank you very much for being on the Sark Fighter podcast. Thank you very much. So many, many thanks to Frank for joining me on the Sark Fighter podcast. Takeaways from this interview. First of all, Frank needs to get some sleep. He's trying to recover. And when you're sleeping, that's, that's when your body fixes itself. And he told us he's getting four hours of sleep and his brain is so active that he just can't sleep. Frank, I hope you get some sleep. Uh, also, folks, be careful with your exposure to COVID-19. It, it looks like we're at no additional risk, but if you're like Frank, yeah, you just don't want to, you don't want to go down that road. Um, it appears that some people have a dormant condition not related to sarcoidosis that can be triggered by this virus. Um, and, and I say not related. It may or may not be sarcoidosis related. Who am I to say? Uh, and doctors just don't know enough about it yet, but uh, you, don't want, you don't want to be the person that finds out the hard way, right? Um, the last thing most of us need is to be taking another medication. And Frank continues, by the way, to host these virtual support groups, and I'll have a link in the show notes. He and three other people have formed the StrongerThanSarcoidosis.org, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes, and that's a place that you can go to reach out and, and find some help and some support. And then the last thing I'll tell you is that I've been listening to uh, a lot of advice about podcasting, and one of the things that you need to do if you're on the microphone is to ask people to say, if you like this, tell one other person. If you would just tell one other person about the Sark Fighter podcast and get them to tune in and listen and subscribe, that would be super helpful. And it helps me spread the word and it helps me help more people. Uh, so please, by the way, send me an email. It's in the show notes. And I'd love to hear from you, uh, whatever it is you like or don't like about the podcast. Maybe you want to be a guest. Maybe you want to tell me about somebody that, uh, that you think should come on the show. Uh, I'm always anxious to hear feedback from the listeners. And please follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and on Facebook. And then again, I just want to say thanks to Frank for joining me here today. And Frank, it's okay to slow down a little bit. I hope you kick this thing as soon as possible. Until next time, people, keep fighting. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumble.